you made it to episode nine of Centering the Margins, the companion podcast to the book, How to Teach Contentious Issues in the Classroom by Francisco Ramos, available for $4.99 on Apple Books. As always, I'm Michael Betsecond, and I'm joined today by the author himself, Cisco Ramos, and we are always glad that you decided to come back. If you're finding us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to check out all of our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast service you prefer. This week, we're going to be talking about digital storytelling. You could have ran a marathon, but you came back. I am so looking forward to today's conversation. Glad you're back, and let's get started. So I, I, I really love digital storytelling. Um, and it's funny because, you know, if, you, if, you, if we take a look back, you, you'll notice a lot of times there is an emphasis on curriculum. There is an emphasis on where we are as professors, as teachers, as instructors about our own understanding of implicit bias. Um, then thinking through and working through, you know, really what are gender pronouns? Where do they come from? Last week, we certainly engaged with abilities and why I include, included digital storytelling is really around, you know, taking a step back, thinking about, um, really what are the barriers to inclusion, some barriers to participation and really asking, okay, if we have seen just um, a medical, just a large growth in the number of platforms and the ways that 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 students can express themselves, what's really keeping us from or holding us back from giving them the ability to tell their own story on their own terms? Mm-hmm. So, so um, that's why this chapter's here. It's really around storytelling and what are different ways storytelling can um, come into the classroom. And, and I think even just to push beyond the classroom is what can storytelling, what role can it play in allowing students to express themselves and, you know, not just in the classroom, but certainly in the community and everyday life. So yeah, right. I, I'm a big fan of digital storytelling, and I really have to give um, a lot of credit to digital humanists who have been um, working in this area for a number of years. And I think finally, um, culture and society have caught up to where they're at because they've certainly been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Right, right. Well, and I think when we have the conversation of like, digital storytelling to your point you know this idea of being able to put something back in people's hands i think that there there is a an impetus to believe that the way in which a true story is valuable is in the analog creation Mm. um i think that there's you know we love to shoot we love to see things on film we love to listen to things on tape we i'm i'm a vinyl head i you know i I admit to that Mm. um and I, and I think there's something about that where when we set up that that superiority, that supremacy, if you will, mm-hmm. we begin to alienate the very same people that would, to, to your point of statement, you know, that would be able to get into the medium, that would yeah. be able to feel as though, 
you know, to hear your story played back for you, you know, in, in a larger space, you know, I make something and I give it to my family and they're able to hear it played back. I think that that does something to elevate it. I think it changes your perspective mm-hmm. about yourself. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I work in the, in the, in the medium one that I work in as a sound guy and yeah. two that I work at the center for documentary studies is because I very much believe in making, you know, making a device like the digital conduit available to all people. Uh, yeah. and, and not saying that the medium is closed off because you don't have a, you know, uh, $2,300 Bolex film camera. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, one of the most, um, and, you know, we're talking about stories, one of the best assignments I, I think I've ever seen, and I think this took place in, um, in, a, in an elementary school of all places, where, hmm. and, and I forget exactly how, but the teacher put together a bunch of disposable cameras for her students, right? So mm-hmm. let's say you have 20 students, you've got one for each student. The assignment was, I want you to go take a picture of your, and I think this is in New York city actually, but go take a, go take a picture of your favorite places in the city. And then at the same time, go take um, a picture of places that you see every single day. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, of course, you know, and we'll come back in two weeks or you bring the cameras back, I'll get them developed somehow and I'll give you the, the photos. And I want you to select like, 10 photos and, you know, put it on like a, you know, like a big cardboard thing. And then just tell us, walk us through your every day, your favorite spots and why. And it was this very subtle. And, you know, you mentioned not needing like a $2,000 camera. It was very much, you know, having students being able to actually see what their colleagues and what their peers and what their friends, what was their everyday like? Right. 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 I mean, I mean, that was right. one of the big ones where um, some kids came back and, you know, um, I presume are from well off and very comfortable environments simply because there is a library. There's uh, some really nice desks. Um, some kids took uh, right. pictures of the dinner table. Others, it was sort of like a, a makeshift situation where um the electricity doesn't come on beyond a certain point. There's a leak, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in this part because there's a hole in the roof somewhere to um, some kids. They uh, took a picture, again, of a very simple dining table. The parents are there and it's, you know, you it became very, very obvious that um, not only the differences, but even of the commonalities, right? How yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, I, and I do remember this and I, I'll have to do some digging to, to find it of where, you know, there is um, some back and forth. And I think some of the, the teachers and some of the people around this project were very much commenting on, you know, it felt like when it came to, and my favorite word in Spanish is uh, cariñoso, like uh, very affectionate, right? Um, mm-hmm. That the children who were from... I'm going to, I'm going to say less privileged backgrounds, um, actually had more affection and more tighter familial bonds than the kids who were very well off, um, and had all of the material stuff, um, to suggest that they had a comfortable lifestyle that they could take advantage of conditions that would have allowed them to do things that arguably some of their classmates and, and friends wouldn't be able to do. Um, but right. these kind of things, right, about 
using something that's very simple, very easy, very accessible to right. tell a story and to begin to not only create these bridges, but to deepen them, um, mm. I think was really, really profound. And that experiment, I think, was, you know, um, a handful of, um, you know, granted, you could ask people to use cell phones now because everyone's got a cell phone. Right, but right. The the idea is the same. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it's funny that you talk about that, not to just spend time, you know, publicizing things that happen at the Center for Documentary Studies. And I know that I've talked about this before, but we have a program that kind of does that precise thing. It's called Literacy Through Photography. And the point of it is to be able to put inside of the hands of these young bodies, you know, to, to be able to give them the ability to, to make sense of the world around them in a meaningful way. And especially when you have students that are saying like, you know, in the example that you gave, like, go take photos of something that you think are the best places in the city. Mm -hmm. And then like, when students start taking photos of the best places in the city, and like, you live there. Mm -hmm. And it's not anything that's ritzy or glamoury or whatever. It's just it's a park, but you live across the street from it. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, man, that's that's my space. Mm -hmm. Y'all think that's a cool place. Like, mm -hmm. it does something to the, the validation internally for for the student themselves. And so like, I personally just really am a big believer in exactly how, how strong the impetus has to be to, 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 to provide something like, you know, access to digital storytelling materials, like those tools should, it shouldn't be, it, it should be something that's available to everybody. And as a matter of fact, you know, um, I'm a big believer in, in, in what you're saying. Like we have phones in our pockets, you because know. you know we we can we can make a whole podcast i've literally taught classes on how to you know record audio cleanly and clearly with your phone mm -hmm. you don't you don't need a $1500 rig you yeah. just need whatever your phone is and a voice recorder you don't need you know a multi thousand dollar as a matter of fact if i can go ahead and you know shout out somebody um so chinese new year yeah um is is happening as we speak Mm -hmm. Chinese New Year, uh, and Apple um, just dropped their new phone, um, and uh, there was a there's a Chinese filmmaker who just did an entire um, a big release about a, a week ago, and the entire short is shot on an iPhone 12 Pro Max. Like, yes, wow. it's the highest end of the phones. But it's the fact that, you know, it's this and it's a really sweet story. Yeah. Um, it's it's called Neon. Uh, and um, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go look it up. N-I-A-N. Um, and like I said, it was shot on the iPhone Pro Max or iPhone 12 Pro Max. Uh, and the director, um, Lulu Wang, she, you know, she and a film of uh, team of creatives were the ones that were able to do this. And like. They're making work because of the, and it was, it was completely directed remotely and it was because of the pandemic. They were mm -hmm. able to use what was in their hands to make this thing happen so that they could celebrate their, their family, their friends, you know, culture, because Chinese new year is about being together with family and no one can be together right now. And so you were getting to that function of what storytelling or digital storytelling is supposed to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and then that's how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, that, that's the part again, where, um, use what's available, use what's around yeah. you. Um, yeah. 
And it and it's and that's a really by the way Chinese New Year's next uh, next week no no well ne- oh next week next week yeah well, well, you know how it is you know actually so <laughs> it's um February twelfth February twelfth okay so we we're in the hopper <laughs> you know, we're good we're good we're good Happy New Year by the way um, Happy New Year so yeah no I I totally hear that I do and I think that's the hardest part where um you know we. We've said the words um, empowering students. I think this is a really easy way of going about doing that. Um, right. And it gives students the ability not just to create and share what they've learned, but really how is what they're sharing and learning, how is it relevant to them personally? Um, and again, this this whole idea of, you know, learning the vast majority of it's going to happen outside of the classroom. Um, right. So right. For, for depending on who our audience is for digital storytelling, you know, the question I, I think that's really hard for a lot of people to to truly struggle with is um, really what's the point, right? Like what's the big mm. so what? Why should I do this in an environment where um, I have to, you know, um, grapple with certain constraints where um, – you know, I, I have to sort of get in a certain set of materials to make sure that my students know um, or have a foundational understanding of. And then, you know, whatever it is that we're talking about, uh, either this week, this month, um, potentially this semester or, or longer. Um, right. You know, I, I think the big one is, you know, on, on one hand, it's broadening and being very honest about what we want students to get out of a certain experience. And I think the second mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. that I, I think gets very short shrift, um, you know, is trying to help students not only make sense of the world around them, but to help them make the sense of the world around them so that they can become better citizens. Right. Right. I mean, we, we talk about, um, you know, people being change makers. Right. And I, and I have my own hiccups and reservations about using those two words back to back. Right. I say better citizens because that places us not in terms of like, um, me going in and trying to fix anything. It's more like, no, I, there are certain things that I myself, that I, I myself am playing an active role in this environment. Right. There are roles or responsibilities. There's a series of relationships that I'm trying to navigate. And Mm -hmm. I am learning in this process because honestly, learning, as I've said, I don't know how many times, it's not just what happens inside the classroom. It's learning how to be a better person. It's learning how to be uh, visually literate, as we've gone over in a prior episode. It is learning how to function um, in an era where right now we know that we're going through profound changes as we spoke about quite a bit when it came to how to evaluate online uh, information. Right. So it's something much bigger than just um, having class from 9 a.m. to 9.45. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what is, well, and here's the question. Here's the real question, right? Mm. So when you say, you know, having a classroom that's greater than, you know, 9am to 945, like what are other ways that we're able to tease out for, you know, 
people in the world around us? Like what are practical classroom activities that we could be actually engaging in so that we're able to extend that classroom and extend that greater knowledge? How, how are we doing that? What are you, what are you suggesting? Oh, I, 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 so, um, I think there's two questions there. So I'll, I'll say what I'm suggesting and then I'll get to the how, um, you know, I, I think I'm suggesting that education as we've done it needs to become less specialized. And what I mean by that is sort of, you know, we will, we collectively, at least in the United States, we start giving kids tests in Texas. It was certainly in the third grade. We call it the TAS test at the time, T-A-A-S. It's called something mm -hmm. else now. Um, but we start giving standardized tests. We start coming up with very specific forms of knowledge that privilege mm -hmm. science over humanities, um, what we can quantify as opposed to what could be left open to interpretation. Right. Um, and around that we've sort of placed walls around, um, you know, what we teach, what we privilege, and we've codified it because we've developed, um, a series of, um, uh, reward structures. Right. 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 Um, so what I'm suggesting is I'm not saying, you know, um, trying to take what works well now in terms of classroom practice and experiment and rethink and think through um, what is the point of the experience? Right. You know, it's a, it's a very, very old question that goes back several hundred years. No, 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 no exaggeration. That's a very old question of what is really the purpose of formal education? In the 19th right. century, it was really around, can we instill good behaviors that prepare people for punching a clock? That was it. Right, right. It, it was, right. we need to get you to sixth grade because it turns out I want workers who can read it and write. That was the vast majority of it. It wasn't necessarily focused on you know, are, are you really trying to learn what they called natural philosophy? Is it really literature? Right. Are you studying the right. class? Like, nah, nah, Right, right. Can you show up at nine o'clock and can you leave at four? That, that's what I want to know. You know, it was, um, it was a very narrow understanding. And here it's really asking these questions. Well, well, really, who has the right to say that they have a claim on knowledge? Where right. does that come from? Right. And, you know, now that we're thinking about it, where does change come from and how do we know? And, you know, if I'm in an environment, for example, where, and this is just me, you know, I've lived in different parts of the country. Um, what one thing that I have noticed in Michael, I believe you have also lived in other parts of the country, but yep. what people consider to be important in their context is going to be different. Yes. And I've always said it's, you know, whether it, I'm in Texas or Michigan, I lived in New York for a while, certainly Philly and now North Carolina. Um, there was a different emphasis and that's great. But what is the underlying stuff um, that informs what we see and how do we prepare students in the ways that we can mm. prepare for, for these kinds of realities that they're going to be um, engaging with in the not too distant future? Right. Right. 
I think in some ways, um, the the hardest part of engaging with students is trying to get them to understand the larger picture, mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with communities of marginalization, when survival is the thing that we have mm -hmm. to, we've been focusing on. Yep. It's really difficult to wonder why I should care about you know, social studies today or why I should care about math today yeah. or, you know, whatever. It's really difficult to be able to center a child. And, and we have to think about the hierarchy of needs, right? So mm -hmm. like if we've got children who are struggling to eat or yeah. are not sure they're going to sleep or are not sure that they are going to be cared for or, you know, there's some other anxiety that's living behind them. Mm-hmm the function of formal education feels very distant or the necessity, shall I say, of formal education feels very distant, especially when you can't see past what's in front of you. Well, I put it this way, right? Um, I think what you said is very real. Um, there is a scary body and I do mean scary body of literature that breaks down how many uh, children rely on public schools for food. Yep. Right. So I think that's very real. And I think that's a very serious um, concern that I have personally, right. um, you know, and, and to sort of think, you know, within that context, you know, as you were talking, one thing I was, and I, I have never experienced this, but I'm sure um, someone has, is how many times has someone actually sat down with students to explain this? So what? Or, right. you know, if we're really talking about um, literacies, if the big so what is around understanding, if the big so what is to learn how to ask a really good question, um, how many times has the actual material that's been used to... Um, in an environment has, has really been catered to the students that it's meant to reach. Right. We, right. we've, we, we, we've talked a lot about both here and offline about the importance of, you know, and it sounds really easy to say, well, what about culturally re relevant pedagogy? You know, but mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, there's an interesting line between, and I'm saying as it exists right now, right. There's a reality. And then there's what, is possible. And those right. are always intention, right? So right, 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 right. Um, you know, you, we, there are, um, I think it was in the nineties, maybe in the eighties, the whole idea of, um, is there, is there such a thing as Afrocentric, uh, curriculum? Um, mm. and if so, what, what might that be? Um, of course. So then there were debates, um, you know, right. there were certainly debates around, uh, Mexican American studies in Texas, I think that were like last year, two years ago, like, like very real visceral things. You can certainly go to ethnic studies in the state of Arizona. Right. So it's not just, right. you know, will the legislature let us, um, adapt and reform curriculum so that it is a bit more reflective of the society in which it lives. And I do mean lives, um, because curriculum is a living, um, right. force, if you will. Right. Um, yes. 
but then it, it should it, be and, and should be yeah, updated yeah, yeah. and reflective it, of where it is in time always. Yeah. Um, but I, but again, I, I, I think, you know, that's, that's where the rub happens, right? Where, right. um, if you don't see yourself in your own, um, in what you're reading, right. if you don't see yourself in the stories. And I think if you don't have the ability to write your own stories or to show your own story somehow, I absolutely understand why, um, in addition to the challenges you mentioned, why why a lot of black and brown children are disengaged. Right. And, you right. know, and, and that's the part where it's like, you can't tell me that, um, how do I say this? You can tell I'm cleaning up my mind right now. Um, <laughs> you, you can't tell me that, you know, I'll put it the way, there are black and brown geniuses everywhere. Right, right. And all we have now is you have black and brown geniuses who don't have the opportunity to express, to learn, or to see themselves in. Right, right. Well, and and you go even further than that. We've talked briefly about this. You have black and brown geniuses who, in their expression, it's not accepted Mm. as valid. So we can easily go to somebody who speaks another language, Mm -hmm. you know, and we love to center English. We do not have an official language in this country. We love Mm -hmm. to center English. Um, And so if you speak a different language and you know plenty of other words, but because you don't know X word in English, you're marked down for it. And that mark follows you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, going to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I mean that's that's part of it, right? Where the, um, you know, there's a really really great article in the New York Times Magazine from Sunday about um, a Dominican uh, professor at Princeton who is trying to just do incredible work around um, questioning re-questioning and just trying to brown the classics why mm. why why is there such a fascination with 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 rome and with with greece with italy um and, and really calling a lot of the dominant theories a lot a lot of the dominant ideas to task because there is a tight link between everything that we have talked about in this podcast about what we perceive as beautiful, what we perceive as valuable, what we perceive as, you know, being worthy of attention or being um, um, acceptable. You know, there's a tight link between that white supremacy. There's a tight link between the ability of students to see themselves in a curriculum that for the most part, um downplays uh, right. their history their culture and you know digital storytelling i mean we we i know you and i i know we're friends and i know sometimes when i mention digital storytelling even to folks who are a bit more skeptical right who may say like right. you know that that's really great um you know but how does it help me convey you know whatever's they're trying to get out of a of a certain classroom, 
And right. this is where I appreciate, and I think is one of the biggest reasons why I had to approach this entire text as a methodologist, because it's like, okay, at the end of the day, regardless of which field you're in, which uh, um, way you're approaching a lot of the these kinds of conversations, at the end of the day, you still have to come back to a series of questions that at their core are, what is really going on here? How do I right. know? What's my evidence? And if there is something, because this is a, we're talking or maybe talking or might be talking about something that's contentious, is there a way through basic dialogue that I can triangulate some kind of a, uh, a bit finer understanding than what I had walking into it, right? At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's the part of me again, where you're in a science field. Do you use images? Right. 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 Do you and, see? And, and, <laughs> do yeah. you interpret? Do you yeah. do you extrapolate meaning? Um, yeah. It's, but again, sorry. I, it's just, it's one of these things I see in different areas where. No, you're fine. You don't have to apologize you know, about and, it. And there is, <laughs> and, and I'll keep going because I can. It, it's one of these things. And I, and I will say this and I would argue this. Um, but at a certain point, a lot of, so it's going to be a, this sounds very nerdy here in a minute, but a lot of the <laughs> the epistemological divides that were put in place by certain fields at a certain point they just break down. Exactly, they just exactly. break down. You know, truly, yeah. what, what's the difference between, you know, a math and a physicist and their ability to tell what's real? Well, I mean, it depends on who we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, come on, like they both get there. Does it? Does it really matter? Well, and, and, and I mean, that's one of the things that it's funny that you would talk about that. I think we, we really run into that with relation to specifically in the humanities, right? So we joke and say historians can't deal with people that are alive. Anthropologists can't deal with people that are dead. And like social psychologists, people who try to analyze the difference between the two are constantly having to have evidence of both. And I'm like, well, you guys kind of all do some similar things depending on where in history we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that there's, there's a necessity for a field to etch itself, mm -hmm. but there's also a necessity for a field to update its etching. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the common problem that we continue to talk about with our current, you know, the, the three or four pieces of paper that supposedly are the core documents of our country. We run into this idea where we're like, well, you know, and there's, there's a legit, like there are constitutional crises that are constantly arguing about whether or not the constitution is a living or dead document, yep. you know? And if it's a living document, then it needs to be updated to reflect as such. If it's dead, then there are certain people that are just shut out of it altogether. Yep. Um, and so we have to be able to approach this from a space where we are concerned about the etching and we're concerned about revisiting our perceived idea of people and of ourselves for that matter mm. all along the way. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm moved most notably by specifically when I look at things like the humanities, you know, I'm, I, I work in the, in the humanities. I've always wanted to work as a bridge between the humanities and like social science effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, for example, the form that I work in, I work in the field of documentary. Well, if we step from documentary and go to ethnography, mm -hmm. ethnography as a field is very inclusive. 
is a very inclusive field because it becomes a study of the world around us. Yep. And once you start studying the world around you, that gives you the ability to include things like fiction mm-hmm. and, you know, all kinds of, and once you do that, there are, there are documentarians that like lose their mind that you would even consider playing in the space of something like fiction and yeah. considering it a part of the ethnographical like yeah. pantheon. Yeah. So, so there are two people I admire one I know very well. The other, if I ever met her, I, I wouldn't know what to say other than thank you. <laughs> um, Sadia Hartman. Yep. Um, her book called Lose Your Mother is one of the best things that I've ever read. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's brilliant front to back. The second one, his name is Bradley Levinson, my advisor at Indiana. Bradley, uh, is one of those people. He's an ethnographer. He actually got his PhD from UNC Chapel Hill. He's an anthropologist. But man, you're you're not kidding. When you have to start putting pen to paper to describe reality. Yep. That is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Hard. Hard, 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 hard. So that's the part of it again. Like, you know, and then in addition to all of that, trying to figure out where you fit within that context and how you're influencing or not influencing what you're seeing around you and then asking these questions about really how do you know um mm-hmm. is is truly truly difficult um so yeah bradley he wrote a god that man is he, he is so brilliant um so so brilliant city i never met her i i would love to but yeah yeah hey if, if maybe we should maybe we should keep this podcast rolling and then we'll start reaching out to folks and be like we would love to have these conversations about the work itself with mm-hmm. folks that we think can help contextualize them even further. You know what? Seriously, let's revisit that idea. I'm not kidding. Um, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, I, I think that's what it becomes. And so there's this artificiality in, you know, we're specialists in this, we're specialists in that. And I'm like, at yep. a certain point, it doesn't matter. It, re- it really, like, like, what do you see? You know, you know what I mean? Like, I, right, have to, right, I, I hate to right. sound so reductionist, but like, what do you see? How do you know? Is there anything else that's going on? That's fair. The only time that I'm willing to argue a speciality, maybe in the field of health, but even then that's, that's open for debate. Um, but like somebody, if, for example, if we're over here, we're having a conversation about the way in which something breaks down. I know your data skill set is stronger than mine you're going to be able to micro analyze that data to really get it to cook out and tell you information that I would be a better person to read the information that you've told me, mm-hmm. not less, not necessarily to find in chart plots, you know, pl- or, or, or yeah, chart plot points. Like I, I, I'm not, not, I might not have that skill set internally. Whereas, you know, when it comes to whipping up something that's like super clean and digestible based off the information you've given us, like, I know that that's something that I possess that may be a skill higher than yours, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I can make it pretty, I can package it, I can get it out there and I can tell you what's going to, what's going to be consumable very quickly. And so like, that's where I think the value of some semblance of a speciality comes into play. But other than that, like we have to realize that without each other, we don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like the work that we're pushing toward does not further itself. So ultimately, you know, that whole question of what do you see, like, that's the, it, 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 
it is, you know, it's the four blind guys eating, you know, touching an elephant. What do you see? Well, I, I, I see that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's got a strong broom attached to it. Well, what do you see? Ah, no, no, no. It's got these long, luxurious, curvy, uh, uh, poncho looking things that you probably put on your, your body. Wait, what do you, this thing has got that, you know, you're, everybody's describing the same problem. Yeah. And if we just work together, we discover it was an elephant. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that's, that's such a great way to say it. And you know, the word, the word that's thrown around and sometimes, uh, carelessly thrown around is interdisciplinary, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> people, oh, I'm working on interdisciplinary. Oh my, what does that mean to you? Like tr- <laughs> truly like, cause I, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, um, half a night, you know, but that's, that's the word gets thrown around and that's how it should be. You know, one of the resources and I was looking at it as you were talking. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, what are different resources? What are some practical ones? And I'm looking at them, you know, one I highlight the Carolina digital humanities initiatives, right? Mm-hmm. They've got a mm-hmm. bunch of free resources publicly available. You can check them out. Uh, another one, Miriam Posner, right? DH101 Resource Guide. Uh, Digital Humanities, DH Tools at Duke University, the Center for Documentary Studies. Another one that I that I put in there is the Eviction Lab over at Princeton. And, mm. you know, we're talking about telling stories uh, or, you know, you mentioned data is essentially, you know, you, you get you run some numbers, you get some beautiful charts, maybe they're not elegant, maybe they're you need to feng shui them a little bit so that you can, so that they're a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer. But at the end of the day, we ask the same kinds of questions on the data side. What's the story here? Exactly. Exactly. Because no one, maybe this is an unfair statement, few people are able to look at a data set and get excited about a data set. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We are in the slim minority. Not, <laughs> I'll be honest right. with you. I say that as a data nerd, right? You look at it and you're like, huh? Like, and there are days I'm not excited about it, but you know, it's it takes work to get to that point sometimes. I, I think that I could argue with you that you actually are falling into the same trap that I fall in. All right, all right, lay it out. You for me. see the data set, and internally, you put the story together. You are able to contextualize it for yourself because. You can see it and you're able to see through it and go, oh, okay, so you're saying that if a kid grows up in an area code where the mother is only, if the kid grows up in an area code with a general housing value is, you know, $38,000 is like the high end of that. And uh, their mother has only gone to, at best, you know, a high school diploma, Mm -hmm. then we're sequestering that child to potentially only rate to to only be able to earn x number of dollars over the span of their life. See, the way that I was thinking about it and, and you'll love this one and um bear with me. I, yes, that, I think that's partially true. Um I was thinking it was like you go to a play, right? Or you go to a movie. Right? Or now you, you put on Netflix, but you you get my point. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes. I don't go to a movie, right? Please, please, like, wash your hands, wear a mask, stay home. Wear two masks. Yeah, wear two. You know, put on three for kicks, right? Extra safety. Um, But you put on a movie on Netflix, right? And then the opening scene, you're not quite sure what's going on. It's analogous to, like, I open an Excel document, I see a bunch of numbers, I have no idea what's going on. 
And then mm. almost intuitively, I'm, I'm like reading into certain things, right? So if I'm, right. if I'm looking at the Excel document, it's like, okay, how is this organized, right? I go back to the movie. Okay, is this taking place in a kitchen? Is this taking place right. in Chicago? Right. Is it taking place like outside? Like I'm asking these big questions, right? Right. right. And then slowly I start to be like, big picture wise to individually begin to narrow, 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 narrow until I'm focused on the central character or the people mm. who are there, whether that's mm. a bunch of little kids holding balloons, walking down the street um, to like, Oh, I see column, you know, I don't know. Um, column Z is labeled whatever. And that's really, that's the variable I'm going to focus on. Right. Same right. kind of thing, right? Two very different ways of getting at like open scene, macro level, and then very slowly, yeah. intuitively, I start winnowing it down until I'm like, okay, this I think is what I'm looking at and what I need to focus on. And then once the story is being told again, the analysis part, the movie part, same way of getting at it, right? Mm -hmm. Just expressed mm -hmm. very, very differently. Yeah. No, that that makes all the sense in the world. I buy that. I buy that. And I think that you, so you're still telling yourself a story though. I, I don't let put it this way. Can you live outside of a story? No, exactly. There's no Full way. Stop. Yeah, there's no way. Now, I'm just going to tell you that all of the science nerds who are listening to this, all of the people who think you can live outside of a story, they are coming for us and they're going to try to prove us wrong. But I, I'll tell you, I don't think it's possible. I do not believe it's possible. Open to being proven, you know, to being told differently. Don't believe it's possible. I mean, I'll put, you know, but again, like what I will say, um, if even that, even that debate has been had before. And let me look this sure. up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's For been sure. had before. Uh, I'm well, it, and and I think that the 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 not to intentionally assert an opinion further. I think that okay, to intentionally assert opinion further. I think that you know when we talk about living outside of a story, then that's you're saying that you can live outside of the connected nature of all of us, and we stories just prove that we're interconnected. That's yeah. the point of the story. It contextualizes what's in front of us, so that we might be able to connect with it. Yeah, and and and. The book I was thinking about, and this is an actual book, if if you want to check it out, it's called Laboratory of Life, The Social Construction of Scientific Facts, um, written by Bruno Latour and Steve Woolgar. Bruno Latour is arguably one of the most important and most cited so living sociologists in the world. That book was written in 1979. So even, even this question of like, you know, oh man, is it possible to live outside of a story? It's it's kind of like, oh, is it is it really possible to remove subjectivity from a series of steps that are meant to make us a bit more objective in terms of how we analyze things in the lab? Like, no, like 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 no, right. that that's that's foolish. People have had this debate, and in you know, truly seventy nine, um, you know, thirty forty years ago, well, forty and change, um. But yeah, that that's the part of me again. If you tell me, you know, people are coming, and it's sort of like, if they do, they need to read more. Mm -hmm. It's it sort of where I'm at, and I, I will say one of the best bits of advice 
um, is take serious people seriously and ignore everyone else when it comes to receiving <laughs> feedback. Because truly, everyone's got an opinion. And depending on who you are, I really don't care. Depending on who you are, you have my undivided attention. Right. I like the way that's uh, positioned. Take serious people seriously. Mm-hmm. And ignore everyone else. All right. So I got a question. We've had this really great ethereal discussion. Mm. But how do we do it in the classroom? Mm. So there's three practical ways one of them it's, it's again sounds very very straightforward i'm a big proponent of creating creative writing assignments right okay. this is again telling stories about a personal experience right why do you love science what is it about being in the lab that excites you the most um is it through what could be, do you really want to cure cancer? Is it around a personal experience with mm -hmm. a doctor who is very influential? And, or sometimes it could even be, you know, is it around something that could be uh, tragic? You know, mm -hmm. so creative writing assignments that have students explore the internal why with what it is that you're trying to get at, right? in um right in the classroom right. one of the one of the examples i use in the guidebook is there is this very very creative funny and i think the first time i saw it i was like i didn't know you could do that kind of moments but somebody actually developed um a way to uh tell the story of romeo and juliet as a series of text messages and emojis mm -hmm. it is a two minute video um and you can find it on youtube Again, right? You've just, they're telling a story, they're making it relatable, right? How do you upcycle certain things? Um, right. The second one that you've heard Michael get, Michael and I get very, very theoretical and feels very discursive because we're all over the place with it, <laughs> is thinking of ways to combine science and art. It's the best. It's really <laughs> just a way of, again, I'm not so much concerned about. Um, you know, we can talk about distinctions and similarities. We can talk about specialties and what they have to contribute. But at the end of the day, I'm really concerned and thinking about from these various perspectives, how do we know that to, to, to pull on the visual, um, that you spoke about earlier, that when we approach an elephant or if we're touching an object that we both know that we're talking about the same thing. Right. So these underlying questions of how do you know? Um, and I really, really like that for um, for a variety of reasons. I think the biggest one is really just teaching students practical ways to collaborate and just as importantly, how to communicate. Right. Right. So, again, a couple of free resources you can check out. Storybench, Art of a Scientist. That's at Duke University. There's the SciArt Initiative as well as Project Case. And then finally, um, uh, just being able to illustrate that the social and cultural world through mixed media. But, so being able to take a mixed media approach to learning and to understanding um, so that, you know, if students are putting together a project, whether that's something that they do out of class um, 
And if they're combining different media, such as print, picture, video, to express and to tell a story. Mm. Now, granted, I'm an individual. Sometimes the best learning that we do is the process of making something, even though the product is terrible. Right. Um, a good example is cooking. The process we follow it, and the product you know, like ah, we're gonna we're gonna order Chinese right. tonight. You know, not right. <laughs> not my best work. Um, right. But that's an example, right? Right. So yeah, those are very three very easy anyone can do. And I, and I appreciate all of those. I think those are very yeah, they're tangible, they're direct. You can start that. You can start that process now. And I think that I would be remiss not to leave um, leave our listeners with uh, this thing that. Um, we share at the the Center for Documentary Studies. Um, John Bewin was actually the one who kind of turned me on to it. And it's something that Ira Glass talks about uh, for many people who listen to podcasts or This American Life or NPR, those kinds of things. Um, Ira Glass talks about how hard it was for him to come to the point of being able to be a, a, a storyteller that was valuable, that was good. He just, he was like, I couldn't do it. And it took him a lot longer then it took a lot of other people to do it. Mm. Um, but he continued to stay at it. And the reason for it was this thing he refers to as the gap. And you can actually watch him talk about this on YouTube. You just type in Ira Glass, the gap. But the long and short of it is that there's a general expectation, specifically highlighting this third point that Cisco, that you kind of brought home about the process of putting the story together. There's a general expectation that we all possess that our that that our work is going to be at a prolific professional level like you know i'm going to make this cake and it's going to look exactly like the cake that i saw online or i'm going to paint this painting and it's going to be exactly if it's real you know if i'm doing you know still life it's going to look exactly like the still life it's going to look exa- you know we have an expectation about what our work is going to look like what the thing we're doing is going to be mm. and then we have the reality which is typically stark of where we are when we actually produce that thing. And so just because there's a gap there doesn't mean that we don't keep going. If anything, it's markedly because that gap that we continue to slog along. You know, Yo-Yo Ma didn't pick up the cello one day and was like, I'm the world's greatest cellist. Like, that's (laughs) not how that worked. No, that is, that is, that's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of hours, I'm sure he would, I mean, I don't know if he's lived that long, but you know, that's <laughs> so much time that yeah. is in that form to get to where he is proficient as a professional and then to be able to be a virtuoso to like, to surge past that. Um, it, there, there are, there, you know, Serena Williams doesn't win the French open just willy nilly because she picked up the tennis racket yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's because she's literally spent her and her sister and her dad, like they've spent so much time honing a craft to mm-hmm. get to where they are at the pinnacle of what they do. It is, it is literally, you know, it, it is, it is labor intensive. You are yeah. making and producing, you know, and, and forgive me for being gestationally minded, but like, you know, I'm about to have this kid who has been forming for the last nine months and we call it labor for a reason to birth this, this child into the world. It will take the work that it took to make the child. And then it will. And so, 
you know, take the work that it took to make the child and then the process by which to get the child out and into mm-hmm. the world. And like, this is one of those things that we talk about specifically in story development. There is the spark. There's the impetus that sets you in motion. You know, it is very easy to start something. It is near impossible to see it through. Yeah. So just because your expectation of the work that you're making is not what you've heard or what you've seen or what you've tasted doesn't mean that you stop trying to make it. If anything, it means that you buckle down and you work harder and you find people to for, to pour into you, to inspire, to continue to motivate so that you can continue to make the work that you're doing. That's so well put. And I think of what we see is the final product, right? Right. We don't see somebody, we don't see swimmers waking up at four something in the morning to be at the pool at five. We don't see Serena running up and down stadium steps. We don't see the diets. We don't see any of the things that go on behind the scenes. We just see somebody who goes out there and is excellent at what they do. Um, So, yeah, that's very well put. It just takes time. And I think if there's a gap, that could actually be a good thing. Because if somebody were to tell me that, hey, this is perfect, and I'm like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know right, about that. Right. You know, truly, I, I right. don't know about that. Like even some of the most um, brilliant musicians, filmmakers, etc., will tell you, I've got my favorite or, or yeah, that was good. It could have been better, you know? Um, and right. I think, I think that's just part of it. Well, and, and I also think that when we talk about resilience, resilience is forged in the gap Mm -hmm. resilience says that just because I failed today doesn't mean I'm going to fail tomorrow or heck if I fail tomorrow doesn't mean I'm going to fail the next day resilience says that just because it gets hard doesn't mean we give up I mean I'm, I'm moved to think about the number of students that come in from high school uh at name the university and they were the valedictorian, they were the student body president, they were the captain of the math team, the, you know, whatever. They've had all of these accolades. Mm-hmm. And then they show up and they had they didn't have to work that hard in high school because it came naturally. And then the first time they run into a real challenge in college, mm-hmm. it's it is humbling. And mm-hmm. a lot of students are not sure how to navigate that humility. Because they've never had to. So it's the gap that reminds them of how to climb. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. That's everything right there. That's where the resilience comes from. It's the struggle. You know, and it's it's funny. And and I, I will say this. I know we talk a lot about the big word that I learned. And I didn't know this existed prior to like four years ago. Was um, effortless perfection, I think was the phrase, Mm -hmm. right? You're supposed to do all of these amazing things and, oh, but it was so easy. I didn't really work that hard on it. In reality, somebody's really busting their hump um, yep. behind the scenes to make what you see in front of them. Um, but I tell you, the only thing the vast majority of anybody's really had is the struggle. There's nothing but the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the phrase I, I thought about this earlier because I was um, – I don't know. My mind was somewhere thinking. Um, <laughs> no, but the struggle and pressure make diamonds. Yeah. You know? 
like that's Shine a very bright like a diamond. That, yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, so yeah, I know, and yeah. it's funny to me. Uh, I could not personally relate to folks who'd say like, "Oh man, you know, it was it was really hard when," and I was like, "I hear you, and I'm sure it was for you." Um, this is just a Tuesday for me, you know, like, right. And I, I'm going to wake up and we're going to do this again on a Wednesday and it's going to look a little bit different on a Thursday, but guess what? I'm going to wake up and we're going to do it again on a Thursday. And then, Hey, guess what? It's Friday. That's fabulous. We're still gonna be doing this. Um, right. So it's just honing in that way. Um, yeah. Right. So, so I, I hate to quote a, um, a very, uh, important you know significant uh song of the 80s <laughs> oh god where's this going by by a guy <laughs> named going? robert tepper by a guy named robert tepper but the words go there's no easy way out there's no shortcut home there's no easy way out given in can't be wrong like we don't get to give in because it's going to make it easier for us. Like that's, you just got to keep going. You mm-hmm. got to keep going. You got to keep going. So anyway, that's a famous sequence. It's the, it's Rocky four. It's not the greatest Rocky of the Rockies, but it's Rocky four. I mean, it's the montage song. Yeah. So, oh, excuse me. It's 1977. Forgive me. That's 77, not eighties. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. The, yeah. the more you know <laughs> swinging a miss on a decade but who's counting who cares so whatever. <laughs> plus or minus 10 years <laughs> you know but 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 i but i think that's 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 something right where all right so getting back to so truly getting this thing as storytelling um you know i i think you know we, we spoke earlier in this podcast around communication i would always argue well really what's being communicated you know right Right. So, so we can joke around and say like, okay, haha, Michael's off by 10 years. Isn't that funny? Subtext is really, what was Michael really talking about? Mm. Very different things. Very, yep. very different things. Um, yep. So yeah, yeah. Don't knock the hustle, man. I'm telling you. Do not right. knock the hustle. Because the, the well, hustle will always get you. That's all I'm saying. Right. You got to respect right. it. It will always get you. Right. And, and just know because you know, this is one of the things that I try to add to that hustle statement: hustle hard, rest hard. Because there's mm-hmm. more hustle to be there's more hustle to be hustled, and those who are doing it, <laughs> those who are doing the hustle, those who are in, not the dance, but those who are out <laughs> here really about this life, that are trying to actually see themselves realized. And mm-hmm. I think I've told this story about the first time I ever saw myself on a screen. That I that I remember seeing myself on a screen, not mm. not the literal me, but the figurative me, was through Chadwick Boseman. Mm. The first time I ever had that moment where I was like, "Man, I'm powerful," as a black indigenous dude was watching this other black dude be a superhero on a screen, and it mm-hmm. did wonders for me. Mm-hmm. And that. And, you know, and, and before before Chadwick passed, that was one of the things he was talking about was the necessity for us to see ourselves in front of us. Mm-hmm. So this art form that we call storytelling, yes, it is to remember our past, to signify our present and ensure that the future is aware of where we went. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's what that thing is supposed to be about. So yeah, don't don't knock folks who are out here trying to make sure that they get seen and that their people get seen and that their people's people get seen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that and that's that's such an important point because often a lot of granted, right? So it's very easy to compare, right? Mhm. And in that process we conflate comparing with competition which very mm. quickly devolves into if they're getting something then I'm not and it's sort of like you know that's a complete false dichotomy um, right exactly. there is no reason why multiple people can't shine no reason right exactly 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 and that's i mean for every for every person that likes your brand of whatever you've made, there's three people that like another person's brand of whatever that's been made. That doesn't mean that they don't like your brand. They can like both. Mm-hmm. They can like, I mean, I, I, yeah. So I think that you're right. I think that we have a false sense of competition when we should be having a celebrated sense of companionship. Like how do we push each other to be moving in the direction together in in not feeling like we have to shoulder this weight alone, like mm-hmm. that that seems like a much healthier way to go about doing things. Yeah. It gets they say it gets lonely at the top, right? So go with friends. <laughs> <laughs> go with friends. It's true though, man. Like it's an old old African proverb: if you want to go there quickly, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. Right. It's a right. lot of wisdom in that. Very much so. Very much so. Cisco, it's about that time, brother. I know. It's so crazy, man. We made it. Um, it yeah. But I, I will say this. I, uh, before you even go on, there are <laughs> so many people to thank. Um, this originally started out as a series of notes. My partner in life um, really pushed me to, hey, Cisco, that's really cute. Get off your butt and go make this into a guidebook. Michael, I owe you an insane amount of credit for having the idea of doing a podcast. Um, hmm. And there's other people behind the scenes. Uh, Lauren Carley, certainly, thank you for your feedback on the guidebook. Thank you for your candor. Um, I have to thank uh, Duke University for allowing me to to put together a course that is taking on a life of its own. Um, and I think, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, um, and, you know, and I will say, you know, we, we joked around earlier that, uh, we'll try to reach out to, to people to talk about their work, some of the boundaries and but how I they understand joking. an approach. So I don't believe in goodbyes. It's just, nope. we'll see you again. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, Cisco, I also want to say to you, thank you for uh, for trusting this idea um, and for the impact that this guidebook has had, not only on just the the folks that have read it so far, but the people who will be able to 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 benefit from it. Um, I'll tell you this: our whole department, you know, uh, the Center for Documentary Studies, the Continuing Education Department, is actively looking at this as a as a text. Of, of value in our teacher training program. Wow. Um, 
So, you know, it, it's, it's meaningful to me in multitude of ways. Um, I'm also super honored that you trusted me enough to come on to be your co-host. Yes, I like to go on tangents, but I promise I always <laughs> land the plane. I always land the plane. Um, <laughs> so I'm just very grateful. You know, it's been, it's been a really awesome ride, and I'm excited about what our next endeavor looks like. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. It's going to be great. And seriously, man, enjoy next week. We'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, For those who are listening, next week I get to officially become a parent. I'm very excited Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Have no idea. Have no idea what kind of kid we're having. We just know it will be an amazing child. That's all I know. Healthy Um, and beautiful. Healthy and beautiful. Healthy and beautiful. Right. And I do joke that if we have a cat, I might I might feel a little bit different about it. But you know, <laughs> that's funny. That's a joke for all you cat lovers. I'm not being serious. Anyway, you can send your hate mail too. No, <laughs> oh man. Well, any other sage wisdom, sir, that you want to sign off with this week? The only thing I got, I, I want to keep it simple. I see you, I love you, and until next time. So, uh, speaking of things we're doing right now, digital storytelling, yeah? <laughs> how, was that, how was that for a transition? <laughs> as smooth and as slick as a $4 bill, you know what I'm saying? Woo! <laughs> 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 hey, hey, hey. But if they take that four dollar bill, you did it. All right. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know I'm just saying it's worth trying, you know? I just you gotta get it right one. Commissioner. Thank you for tuning in to Centering the Margins. If you liked what you heard, you can rate, review, and subscribe to Centering the Margins on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. In addition, Be sure to go pick up Cisco's new easy read, How to Teach Contentious Issues, a practical guidebook for educators on Apple Books. Hey, Cisco, tell us a little bit more about that 30%. Absolutely. 30% of all proceeds will be donated to Durham Children's Initiative. Durham Children's Initiative's mission is to create a pipeline of high-quality services spanning from birth through college and career for children and families living in Durham, North Carolina. There are more than 65 partner organizations and thousands of community members who actively contribute to the initiative. It takes a village, and we at Centering the Margins want to make sure that the village is still here post-COVID. Please go find and buy the guidebook on Apple Books. Your money is going to a great cause. Thank you for listening. Until next time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's my superhero. I fuck up the inflection. That's my power. <laughs> that 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 is an entire like useless superhero podcast episode, right? Oh my gosh, your name would be emphasis, <laughs> yeah. except it would be pronounced emphasis. <laughs> <laughs>